0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network oh it's a goal you've got the assist who got the assist
1: hello so we're back for the final word on the Fpl season just gone it's been mesmerizing baffling and a great ride and I'm really glad I'm joined this fine Saturday FPL this afternoon by Nick for one final time how you doing mate
0: Hey, Tom. Yep, I'm doing well, thank you. I'm sad, obviously, that it's our final pod of the season. But equally, looking forward to the summer to focus on home life and work and recharge the batteries before next season. Of course, you know this already, but the final time this season, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL, online at whogottheassist.com, and make sure to follow us, subscribe, and tell your friends. Indeed, your family as well, if you like what you hear.
1: Thanks, Nick. So this pod's a bit of a look over the season to some extent, but also looking to the future based on the trends we're seeing in the data. We've had about a week or so to play with it, haven't we, Nick? And uh, what we think may happen next season, so a little bit of future gazing, if you will. We'll cover our kind of record with hits this year, how we think choice will be affected by prices next year, and some impacts of that. So looking at the data, mining for points per value, um, some hypotheses around the death of the fur forward, so initial thinking on talisman theory, that's the power of players who carry their teams, such as Zaha and Oneltovic in the second half of the season.
0: Yeah, and we're going to do a final roundup of the anti-metas, a final non-watch, which we're very sad about, and also a, a quick section instead of Market Forces, where we're just going to talk about our prospecting the prospects, write-ups and our plans for the summer. And then we'll round up also with a look at the Who Got The Assist mini-league before closing.
1: Cool. Uh, so Nick is the victor between the two of us and the victor in our little cash mini-league as well. I guess it's time. Uh, how did your season end?
0: So I finished off with overall rank of 17k. I mean, it's great to finish in the top 20k, but I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed, to be honest, just because at one point I was sitting in uh, the top 6k. I was dreaming of that uh, three-figure finish. However, I think I might have felt a little bit vertigo at my high rank, and uh, despite a sort of fantastic free hit, my second wild card was a bit of a a horror show um, and uh, yeah I finished with a red arrow I took a minus four got Zaha and Romero in but I only scored about 67 which wasn't enough for the final game week especially when it was a high scoring one with you know crazy scores like 5-4 in the Spurs Leicester game.
1: If 17k was offered to you at the start of the season would you have taken it?
0: Yeah probably but I think when I was sitting at 6k I was just like you know hoping to improve my rank even further and i was i was feeling quite confident about potentially even finishing the top 1k but i think you felt it as well the second half of the season nothing seemed to work out for anyone really you know with the manchester city double game week as a prime example of um, a game week where people were expecting huge gains of rank and kind of got punished a little bit
1: yeah for sure i mean only nine points from jesus so was really annoying i want to talk about my final uh, kind of outcome so 300k which is a uh, yeah, it's not the best season. We've got 56-4 on the last day and ending fitting for the start, really. I mean, the Sterling captaincy didn't come off. I had the last hurrah with Arnie, which was quite good. But, you know, I've had 12K, 2K and 21K finishes in the past. But you know, this time, ending at 300K, you know, sometimes I looked at you, especially in the first half of the season, thought he's another world, to be honest. Linked to this, I looked at my hits, which is kind of the first kind of topic that we're going to talk about quickly. So this season, Nick, I looked at my hits in detail. I took 22 hits. As a way to look at those uh, immediate returns, I gained 236 points from the players I brought in and those I took out scored 151. So far, so good. Issue is, if we add the hits, which is 88 points, I get to a total uh, loss of 239 points. So it means the net effect of all of my hits this season was a minus three. (laughs) Um, uh, Another damning stat is that those coming in scored uh, 10.0, and those coming out scored 7.1. So I need an extra 0.9 for my incomers to justify my outgoings. It just didn't happen to me this season. You'll remember I took uh chances in places didn't pay off. So you know, I sold Solara in game week three for Richarlison. I bought in Sanchez in twenty six. I bought in Sanchez in thirty-four. It might be a theme there. I mean Andy on the Scout cast mentioned the open goal for Sanchez in twenty seven and that miss. And I think that's gonna be the abiding memory of what the season is. Well the final thing obviously eight missed penalties. Forty five points more I could have got, I reckon. I don't think it would have been good enough though. I mean I think those forty five points would have gotten me to above two hundred K. But the reality was it It really wasn't a good season for me. I'm just hoping to be able to put this down to a blip and have a strong season next year.
0: Yeah, I think you were chasing points a fair bit during the season and that meant that you gambled on a few differentials. You took a few um, elective hits that perhaps you shouldn't have. You know, you took a gamble, for instance, on Sanchez when... And you had a, a decent player around a similar price in midfield. I think it was Mahrez or someone who could have easily got you a huge haul anyway. And I, I tended, to, in, in contrast, to avoid the uh, elective hits where I could. In, in total, I only took 44 points, so that's half of what you took. But then I think there have been stages, especially in the second half of the season, where I should have taken more hits. And I think the final game week is one where I really should have done a minus eight, but I was put off by it. I was like, why am I going to do a minus eight in the final game week? Is it really worth it? I was worried about the mini league, even though I won it relatively comfortably in the end. And yeah. I was worried about taking too big a hit and, you know, overexposing myself. But I really should have because I made a I made a minus four, got rid of William, which was a good move for Zaha. Got rid of De Gea because we knew he wasn't going to start. And I got in Romero, who got me seven points. And then I really should have got rid of one of my defenders because four of my five defenders scored zero points in oh. the final game week. And who I was looking at was PVA you got 18 points and Robertson who also got 18 points. I mean, what the hell, you know, just like avoided the minus eight. So I think definitely in some stages, the minus eight is worth it. And I actually took a minus eight, um, on the final game week of last season, uh, which you reminded me of on, on the last week's pod or the week before. And, uh, yeah, I really probably should have done it this week because um, last season I scored a triple figure score in, in the final game week and I think the final game week's one of those where you know a lot of players aren't necessarily going to play and you know the teams that are really going to go out and you know perform, perhaps an example is Liverpool and I really should have looked at someone like Robertson and thought he's definitely going to start.
1: In terms of hits then, I mean you mentioned elective hits there, what's the lesson you've learned this season in terms of taking hits, if anything?
0: Uh, well, I guess the lesson learned is if you don't feel confident you've got 11 players that are definitely going to start and you're confident that could get a decent haul, then um, then by all means take a hit, especially if there's someone you're looking at you know, who's relatively cheap, who you think can easily get a clean sheet or could easily score, then go for it. But don't take too many hits. If it's a case of, oh, Sterling hasn't scored in a couple of game weeks and Mares has scored in a couple of game weeks, don't go ahead and sell Sterling for Mares. if if Morris is playing, I don't know. Huddersfield and Sterling's playing United. Just maybe hold this guy because you know that at the end of the day you have him in your team for a reason because he's you know performs really well in the for the rest of the season, and that's the reason you brought him in in the first place. So sometimes have a little bit more faith in your players if they blank for a couple of game weeks because it's that's not necessarily a drop in form. It's just a it's just a coincidence that the chances didn't pay off. So always look at the underlying stats as well before you make a move and take a hit.
1: In the past, your patience that you were espousing didn't, didn't quite work for you. I remember, like uh, notably Eden Hazard a couple of seasons ago, you kept faith in him for absolutely ages, didn't you? And like that didn't pay dividends. But this year, it has really worked for you, and yeah, you can see it borne out in the difference between you and me. Like, I think I'm gonna try to be more patient next year, be more more chilled about making removal. Like, maybe give it an extra week unless obviously injury or something like that. I think you know this year I took a few too many chances, and I could have racked up a fairly decent OR if I just stuck to something like I think maybe I even Overestimated how far back I was at 200k. If I'd have gotten a couple more standard star captains, maybe got a bit more luck with the penalties, <laughs> I think I could have easily gotten in the top 100k. I just I think I played it a bit too extreme in terms of the hits. Some of the choices weren't quite right.
0: You took a few gambles as well with a free hit, like Otsel and, and stuff like that. And I think, yeah, you, you were chasing points to a certain extent. And I've done that in previous seasons as well. I remember the stupid decision once of, of bringing in Aruna Kone um, as her. Um, lukaku cover <laughs> and you know like what oh, the hell was
1: no. i making there you know no, that's no. a dodgy season for me so <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. well, hopefully that's my one out of the way now let's move on nick and let's move on to kind of a little bit of thinking about next season and value and price and uh at the start of last season we looked at pricing probably the first article we did wasn't it and predicted it would be it would be tough to fit everybody in and um, as it happened the 9.0 most of our end up being all you needed but you know that's uh by the by really um Nick, just a quick tidbit, actually. Mo scored 1% of all FPL points this season and he scored 14.6% of all Liverpool's points with 303, which is the highest percentage of players scored of a team's points, Um, I think in the last three seasons at least. But anyway, in 2016-17, we saw the cheapness the season before of Ali and Eriksson at 8.5, Coutinho, remember, was 8.0 and in the tailwind of Leicester's title win, Vardy was 10 million, for example. Um, this year, what we've seen is the United midfield, Pogba and Mickey. remember him? and 8.0 at the start of the season, the assist machine. Then the Liverpool midfield in in Mosul filled the gap a little bit with uh, City, Sterling, 8.0 was kind of there too. I think that um, next season we're surely going to see the City, Liverpool, United players go up by 0.5 to 1 million at least, right? 9.0 each for all the City mids rather than the scarcely believable 8.0. Sterling was 7.8 at one point. You can can see Raheem Sterling at 10.0, can't you? And the Spurs players to stay the same. So if we're thinking about pricing and what's going to happen next year, I think we're going to see Mickey and Rambo surely have got to be 7.5-ish. I mean, who do you think is going to go up and who do you think is going to go down after this season's events?
0: So I think we're definitely going to see price rises, obviously. Salah's going to be extremely expensive, probably the most expensive player in the game. But with his output, I, I still think he's a must for your your team next season. Sterling is definitely going to see a price rise. and um, The other Manchester City midfielders will see price rises for as well. The likes of Sane, I think he's only 8.5 beginning of the season. He'll be a bit more expensive. Um, the likes of David Silva, who is quite cheap as well. He'll be... He'll, he could potentially be 9. I think... Um, you know, Ericsson he might go up to 10, potentially. Ali will probably be about the same as what he started at. Uh, Son may even increase as well because he was relatively cheap. I think you're going to find some bargains out there. And every season there always is a bargain. I think the likes of Lingard, he potentially could have a breakthrough season next season. He um, he finished the season only at six, but so he's probably going to have a price rise. But if he's around seven or 7.5, there's not really that many options in the Manchester United midfield, to be honest. So I think he might be someone to look out for as a decent price. I think um, we'll see uh, Firmino, he'll have another increase as well, because he was relatively cheap at the beginning of the season. He could potentially be £10 million, and you might get priced out of him, unfortunately. But I think um, Otsal, Sanchez, they'll see price falls. They um, didn't really have a great season, either of them, to be honest. You know, never really enough thoughts. Because of their price and just not being affordable, Hazard p- will probably still remain too expensive. But I did have a quick look at Cesc Fabregas, actually. He started at 7.0 and only managed 89 points um, all season due to this sort of bit-part role, which is uh, actually less than his uh, non-attacking teammate Kante, but Fabregas actually managed to create 89 chances, unbelievably the same amount of points he finished with, and only KDB and Ericsson managed more. They only resulted in five assists, but if if he was creating those chances for someone like better than Morata, then uh, if Chelsea buy a decent forward, <laughs> they get a the new yeah. manager in who likes Fabregas, looks at the online stats, and I say, actually, this guy's a really good creator. He could be someone who's down to 6.5, 6.0, even potentially, There could be a really good enabling your team as
1: well. Yeah, that's a really good picker, actually. For me, the guy I had to pick out was Raheem Sterling and give him a quick shout-out almost because I think in the in the kind of Salah razzle-dazzle, apart from him, um, I think that Sterling's my player of the season. I think if you remember back in game week six, remember he was 7.8? We weren't looking at him at all, were we? We, we all thought that like, Bilver had come in to take his place and um, we all thought that he was really finished there. We'd offer to Arsenal... And no one was looking at him at all. But to come back and to be um, so effective this season, if he has 10.0 next year, he might be one who's worth looking at. In terms of points per 90, he's second to the Solar this season with 8.0 points per 90 versus 9.4 for Solar. Um, again, underlining how ridiculous Salah has been. A quick stat on Sterling as well, Nick. Sterling retained his crown as the top fantasy assist deliverer this season. He got six, beating out Richarlison, uh, and then Sanchez and Zahar on four, and Ali diving down on three. Uh, last season, he got a scarcely believable eight FPL assists. <laughs> Antonio and Eriksen were second on fifth. So... Sterling has the goals and assists in his locker, but he's also got kind of the uh, the, the jammy extra points in his locker too. Um,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, I got Sterling in on my game week eight wildcard and he was one of the key um, players in in my early success in the early season. Uh, that really boosted my rank with his um, consistent performances. I mean, he finished with 18 goals, 17 assists, which is uh, unbelievable. I think my only fear with Sterling, he's going to be very expensive. And he he was sort of rotated quite a bit. You know, Sane, uh, Bernardo Silva was always looking for game time. Um, You know, Aguero and Jesus um, will be back probably at the start of the season next season. And I'm sure that Pep will probably buy another attacking winger, maybe even two. I think Fred's joining potentially. So is there going to be so much competition? You always worry about that Manchester City team and who's going to start. And if Sterling's up to 10.5 and I can't trust him to start, I'm not sure how much I can trust him next season because it's going to be so tight. You know, you, you only have about three or four really premium players that you can afford. If you want your Salahs, if you want your Canes and you also want your Sterlings, you're going to sort of crucify the rest of your team and just have obliterate them for price.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and trying to fit everyone in next year, I think, is going to be very difficult. And I think you are going to have to make choices which are even more amplified. And I think the herd effect is definitely going to kick in as well. I think we're going to see kind of people making convincing cases for why you should have player X in your team, which means player Y, especially in the early weeks, is going to be ignored in favour of the current darling of you know the the Twitter sphere or or the forums or something like that. Who do you think is going to be essential early on, Nick? Um, I mean, I've got a few suggestions here, and I think maybe Aubameyang is is number one. We learned a couple of weeks ago that the Premier League fixture computer keeps apart uh, top teams of the top six, seven teams on, on the first day. So he's fairly on to have a good uh, Game Week 1 fixture. And I think with the effectiveness he's, he's kind of shown this year, he's only played half the season. He's in the top four for points per 90, or with 7.4. Um, I think he's going to reach near Kaku levels of, of ownership in Game Week 1. And you've got Salah. I think we're going to see people in the beginning thinking, you know, if he's given 13.0 or 12.5, People are going to be looking at him going, oh, you know what, I can create a really balanced team without him. It's like he's a new Kane almost. And by, by game week one, people are going to have Salah in their team, I reckon. Um, Sterling, we're not sure on. And I think De Gea at the back is going to, in goal, sorry, is going to be the one um, to have. So I think that's going to be, what, 40, 45% of your budget tied up in three or four players?
0: Yeah, potentially. I think Yang's a really good pick, um, potentially from the start of the season. I think with Kane and Salah, they're all going to be about you know, like we said, 13 million each. So you'll see a lot of people thinking, oh, I'm going to try and cover Kane by getting in Ali or Ericsson. I'm going to try and cover Solar by getting Firmino. And then you'll see more of a balanced team. Potentially, they'll be able to afford some more premium defenders the likes of or, or Kyle Walker because, because of the fact that they've gone for the slightly cheaper option at Liverpool and Spurs. But uh, for me, it's tough. I know everyone says Kane can't score in August so maybe we should all avoid Harry Kane at the beginning of the season but I definitely can't avoid uh, Mo Salah especially with the returns and like you said his, his percentages and just you know what he managed to do this season was incredible and I think Firmino he had a great season as well but in terms of attacking output he just doesn't match Salah I mean Salah ended up with an incredible record-breaking 303 points, which is a whole 122 points more than Firmino. So I'd be willing to pay that extra for Salah, who is a midfielder as well. So he always any goal he gets, he gets an extra point for any um, clean sheet Liverpool gets. He also gets a, a cheeky extra point, so he definitely offers a little bit more. I think so for me, he's essential. He's the, definitely definitely the one player that I'm gonna start with, and I'm not gonna avoid because if you don't start with Salah, you're just gonna bring him in after game week three after you missed the first two hauls, probably.
1: Yeah, exactly. It depends a little bit on the World Cup and how much recovery he's got and all this kind of usual caveats, but I think it's really difficult to go without him. Interesting stat on Kane, Nick, and um, he's retained his crown as the number one realised bonus point scorer. So he scored the most bonus points this season and something he did last season as well with 31 bonus points scored. Last year, he scored 33. And second this season is Firmino in third is Bardi, and in fourth is Salah. I'm um, not going to talk about bonus points too much because we've got an article coming up on that. But I mean, does that surprise you that the finished uh, so highly compared to where Salah has? There's a five point difference there.
0: I'm not surprised because I was I was around week in week out, and I was seeing Salah not get his bonus points, and everyone complaining online saying why well, Salah not got the bonus and everything, and all the drama around it week in week out, and it's because of the amount of chances he would snatch and. You know, he'd get into the right spaces and they wouldn't always go in the back of the net. It's like is Richarlison, I think, was third from midfielders for shots. It was ridiculous. But the guy never got any bonus points because 99% of his shots didn't go in the back of the net. And that's just the way the bonus point system works. Like you said, you're going to write an article about it anyway. And yeah, I think Kane, he would just score a penalty and that would be it. Three bonus points guaranteed.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like a twenty-four for a goal strikers. And um, so, if we're saying that Aubameyang and you know, maybe Salah are going to be parts of our team, I think that there's going to be a bit more choice next year. And I think there's a couple of impacts of that on their nick. And I think the first is thinking about points for value and thinking about where we're going to be making sacrifices in order to afford high-priced players. So if we're saying that you know, um, you're going to have Il Bamiang, you're going to have Salah, you're going to have maybe a Tottenham midfielder to cover Kane, you're going to have a United defender at the back, perhaps, and if you, uh, or De Gea, and if you're going to have Sterling as well, um, that's a lot of your budget taken out. And someone somewhere is going to have to pay the price, aren't they, Nick? And you've been looking a little bit at points per value, uh, specifically with regards to uh, the third forward position.
0: Yeah, so I've been looking at forwards in general and, and their output and I think the third striker is definitely a position that's dying within the game. It's always been a bit of a sore topic who who your third striker is, how they're just consistently, you know, not getting returns or even starting half the time. I mean, this is a guy, unless you go for like the power front three, which a few people did across the season, this is a guy who can cost up to 7.5 million and you cheer him on week in, week out, but you, you very rarely actually see this guy score. Nowadays, you know, most clubs actually start with only one forward and there's, there's quite a lot of rotation in the position. I think, Looking at the Premier League, there was only sort of three clubs that really had a sort of nailed on number nine all season. That was um, Spurs, United, and Liverpool with Kane, Lukaku, and Firmino. Otherwise, you yeah, had like with City, you, had, you know, the kun Jesus rivalry. Arsenal um, had a bit of rivalry between Aubameyang and Lacazette, and Chelsea. You had Morata and Giroud, and even like the middle lower table clubs, Brighton, Watford, Huddersfield, Southampton, all have plenty of forwards. And I thought about this position and how I always seem to have these like someone like Ayu or whoever in there, Jay Rodriguez at one point uh, next season, I'm just not going to bother with that position at all. I'm probably just going to put in some 4.5 guy and just let him Ross on the bench because um, instead I'm going to ramble on a little bit about defenders. And uh, I think the cases of uh, PVA and Robertson getting 18 points in the final game week was a really good sort of example of this. I mean, that's a very rare haul for a defender, but also for a forward actually. I mean, we saw, uh, we saw what Kaney did and we saw what Kun did and, and uh, they were the only ones that actually beat that score and, and the requirement is a hat-trick and an assist at least. But um, what's less rare is a 15-pointer from defender and we actually saw 25 instances of defenders scoring returns like this, much, much higher than the instances for forwards. And um, even the likes of Lukaku, Firmino and Vardy didn't manage a 15-point haul all season
1: data definitely seems to be bearing out the fact that, you know, I think you said at the start of the season, didn't you, that there's going to be a lot of value in defence. And despite the last kind of few weeks being more up for grabs in terms of whether a defender keeps a clean sheet or not, for the vast majority of the season, a lot of the clean sheets, especially as far as you were concerned, I mean, you know, a, a Clar Van goal aside, <laughs> a lot of the time the defenders that you chosen were more likely than not to churn out a clean sheet, weren't they?
0: Yeah, definitely, and I guess um, in terms of halls, I think the halls actually flatter the strikers because we're talking about a little bit about points for value, and this is um, sort of a metric where you divide the total points by the player price. And um, when we did our review, we did it against the closing price, and only one forward appeared in the top fifty best value players of this season, and that was Ozy Perez. And I guess that shows there's there's no real value in the market. Um, in comparison, 21 defenders appeared with Equator. He proved the best value defender in the game. He, he did really well. And I think he's someone I'm definitely going to be looking at next season, hoping he's not um, priced a 7.0 and gets a 6.5. Um, incidentally, the, the man we talk about a lot, Tom, Alan Nyom, we always talk about how his price was a bit, you know, iffy, a bit too expensive, considering who he is and what he offers. Finishing at 4.7. He actually ranked 182nd for value this season, and he beat the likes of Lukaku, Lacazette, and Sanchez. Wow. In terms wow. of value. So he actually was he actually ended up better value than Lukaku. And um and I, I guess it's also bucks the trend of the rotated strikers. Lukaku was a 90-minute man. And if, if you can't trust him to to really haul because he never got a fifteen point. Then what's the point of having someone like Lukaku in your team when you could distribute the money better out to sort of these really good value players like Aspira Crater, who who equaled Deli Ali for points this season, and and Dalar's picks for like um like Yann for instance. I, th- I guess the question will be like, what FPL Towers do about this striker position because we saw last season they tried to mend it a little bit. They um, reclassified uh, Firmino and King as forwards. And I'm thinking we're going to talk about talisman theory in a minute. I could. Zaha or Naltovich even be reclassified as forwards?
1: I, I don't think that like they've done quite enough to, be, to earn the reclassification. There's the one on Solar as well, but I think Solar was genuinely playing on the left, the drifting. He and was, school. yeah. Um, so I, I don't think any of them are going to be reclassified. I'd be very surprised. But with Naltovich particularly, and we'll talk about them in, in a second, Like uh, with Naltovich particularly, I think it would be very harsh if he is reclassified as a striker and um, just because he played that role in the last games of Moises' reign. Is that enough? I don't know. One thing to point out actually is that Josh King is likely to be declassified as a striker, and maybe reclassified as a midfielder because that's where he's been playing the majority of this season. And um, so he could be somebody who's uh, who's worth a look in terms of points per value. Then Nick, I think we both noticed something particularly interesting about the uh, about the top ten, didn't we? They all seem to be gravitation towards one position on the pitch.
0: Yeah, we did actually. Of the top twenty, uh, seven were actually goalkeepers and they were all right at the top as well. So it wasn't just Dave saves that were a huge value in the, in the market. It was also Popes, Fabs, Pickers, Lossals, Ryans and believe it or not, Fosters as well. But um, you can only pick one goalkeeper. You can't go for a, sort of a triple, triple, three goalkeepers at the back formation. So we can't really rabbit on too much about that. But I guess that also shows that De Gea... Whilst he was a really good pick, you know, the 4.5 goalkeeper, you can find some really good value goalkeepers there as well. I think Matty Ryan was someone that did really well, in particular this season. Um, Less said about the 4.0 options, like Rob Elliott, the better. (laughs) One outlier, apart from Salah, in in the top 20 in terms of value, was uh, Pascal Gross. Pascal, the creator. And uh, I guess this moves us on to talisman theory, Tom. So uh, Gross was 10th in terms of points for value. He was um, sick for chances created over the season and uh, with 8 assists that's almost enough to get on the who got the assist banner maybe uh, with only famous creators like Fabregas, and KDB and um, Ericsson doing better than him
1: Yeah, another stat on the gross is that he created 82 chances for Brighton this season according to Squawker which is exactly the same as he created the relegated Ingolstadt in 2016-17 Kevin De Bruyne who is the top creator this year with 105 chances created so not quite in his league but Uh, Mesa Ozil created 84 chances this season, uh, which is just two more than Pascal Gross, so kind of a level of player that we're dealing with here. And um, you mentioned talismans and talisman theory and uh, John T on FFS also mentioned this. What I had a look at in terms of the data was looking at, each team, so the total points scored by teams, and the percentage of teams' points scored by the top player of those teams, to have a look if you know it's worth investing in this kind of talisman figure, and to see if there's anything particularly relevant. I think you'd be expecting you know um, a team to have one player who at least scores you know seven or eight percent of their output. But the more I looked at it, the more there's definitely mileage. And considering maybe the one key player of each team. And especially plugging those kind of gaps. If we have a very expensive Aubameyang, Salah, and De Gea kind of setup with Sterling, maybe too. So in the top 20 of talisman, Nick, there are seven keepers who we have already kind of uh, mentioned already. Uh, there's one defender. I'm guessing you know who he is.
0: As Equator. the crater.
1: Yeah, as Equator. The and there are three strikers and there are nine midfielders in terms of talisman. Pascal Gross was the talisman for Brighton. He scored 11.7% of their points this season, which is pretty crazy. For context, most Salah scored 14.6% of Liverpool's points, as I said. Can you name who the second best talisman this year was, Nick? Was it Miljovic? No, it wasn't. It was Riyad Mahreznik. He uh, scored thirteen point four percent of Leicester's uh, points. In third was Jordan Shakiri was twelve point two percent, and uh, came with eleven point two. percent kind of going down the list, uh, that came in at ten point two percent, which was the same level as Sterling. So, I think that these guys, they contribute so much to their teams, don't they? I mean, last season, uh, for context as well, Sigurdsson, 14.4% of Swansea's points, absolutely ridiculous. And Sanchez with 137 of Arsenal's points. I think it might be worth identifying these talismans at the start of next year, Nick, and having like maybe some sort of feature or something on them just to see how they're doing and whether they can keep this level of kind of output up. Oh, I think with Gross scoring eleven point seven percent of one team's points, Mara's I don't know if that if we can find an alternative to him playing somewhere else. is probably gonna play out play a bit better. I think over the last six games he got um his Percentage went up to 12% of his team's goals, which would put him into uh, his team's points, which would put him into the top three in terms of being a talisman. Zahar, actually, Milojevic scored more than him uh, 9.9% of Kristofalta's uh, points. What do you think about these guys, it? Do you think it's worth us having a look at them next year and keeping tabs on them?
0: Yeah, I mean, Anatovic he didn't seem to get on with Billich. I don't think he scored um, when Billich was the manager but under Moyes he was a changed man. He was a really crucial for um, West Ham staying in the Premier League. He's definitely one to keep an eye on and watch next season and uh, he'll probably be subject to a price boost, maybe up to £8 million, 8.5, but still eminently affordable potentially and definitely a good option. Shakiri, um, unfortunately Stoke got relegated and uh, if someone like Spurs uh, pick him up then he'll, he'll lose his uh, talisman personality, much like Sigerson seemed to do this season, sadly. Uh with um Gross, I think he's definitely someone that I'm thinking about owning next season. I think he he was really good. And he was he was very cheap as well at the start of the season. And hopefully you, you know he'll still be relatively cheap next season as well, very affordable. Uh, Miljovic, yeah, he, he did really well, but I think we know that his points per value was boosted by penalty duties, but to start the season at 4.5, we were saying that he might be the best 4.5 midfielder ever to the grace of the game, better than uh, Kapue. <laughs> Um, And then finally Zaha, um, he only played 28 of the 38 games this season, so that then he didn't score as high in terms of overall points as he might have. But what's interesting about this is Palace didn't actually win a game without him in the team, so he was that crucial to Palace. And if he stays at Palace, then he's definitely someone that I'm going to be watching next season.
1: Yeah, uh, last season he was their talisman, And by the way, so he got 11.2% of, of their points last season.
0: I guess it really is a time for these heroes and just just watching them and uh, ne- next season, yeah,
1: we'll keep an eye on them. Part of this is an extension of Bang Theory, which I spoke about a little while ago, which is the perhaps vacuous idea. Having a majority of players in your team each week, you'd anticipate at least getting seven points from. Surely we should try to pick up these talisman where possible, along with making kind of smart picks here and there. But I think talisman theory is definitely worth a thought if you're considering those kind of third and fourth midfield slots with men like Gross, um, which should maybe be top of mind for those places.
0: Yeah, agreed. And uh, in contrast, looking at the Manchester City players and their attacking output, and the, the fact that there's so much rotation there, you know, like there's always a risk. With that's what I was saying about Sterling earlier, and maybe focusing on talismans within the team that you know that can start every game, that will always have a healthy output regardless of the fixture, and you can trust these guys. I think it's definitely worth watching them.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're those kind of cheap players who up the bracket and outperform their initial price in terms of price per value. Okay, let's take a break there, Nick, and move on to the features section.
0: Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's uh time to have a final check-up on the anti-Meta team and see how they got on at season end. Um as I'm sure you're aware, this is a team of under 10% owned players, t- players that not necessarily in most people's teams are sort of very much against the meta. And uh, we wanted to see if we could, you know, perform quite well with them. But anyway, uh, how, how'd they get on, Tom? How did they uh,
1: finish up? Yep. So they didn't end up very well, unfortunately, Nick. Uh, it was a 32 pointer, uh, uh Marnay, Captain Fell, to deliver. 2.1 million is where they ended with less than 2,000 points, unfortunately. I think this season we saw a game week 15 high um, after the course and hat-trick, but by game week 23, they were down in the millions not off the map. Uh, it took a long time for the template to form, I think, this kind of shows because we did keep it under 10% owned, didn't we, for quite a while, but after it formed, the decline was very quick and it kind of showed that to some extent towards the kind of latter end of the season, I think maybe from kind of February, March onwards, it's very dangerous to go against that momentum that the mainstream kind of has. I guess that may show you that at the beginning of next season, um, you should maybe consider taking a few more risks. Will we continue this next season? I think probably not. I think we might stop to another thing, right, Nick, and think about it over the summer and all the England 11, <laughs> I think we mentioned the other day, uh, kind of half jokingly, half not.
0: Yeah, maybe an England eleven, <laughs> maybe a, maybe a British eleven, so we can have Ben Davies in there as a talisman captain. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, the uh, banter every How can how
0: can the English boys don't get on? it would be interesting. We'll probably end up with like something like Jordan Henderson as a make weight in the field or something. There's there's that such a such a dearth of talent in in the English
1: uh, game at the moment, Matt. All right. The next feature this season has been your watch and uh, we hope you've enjoyed it this season. Uh, Glad we've seen him free. We've enjoyed riding with Alan and we hope to see him back in the Premier League. I think we're probably going to change it up next season in terms of this feature. But as Nick's just mentioned, he was in the top 200 for points per value this season. He delivered one assist and he kept seven clean sheets, 70 points, which works out at 2.73 points per 90. So Nick, in the end... uh, You know, you you said that he'd gone the way of Alan Yom in regards to another player who was overpriced. Uh, Do you think Alan Yom was worth a 5.0?
0: Well, no. Uh, Better value players who started at 4.5. Some of the Burnley guys, for instance, uh, Stephen Ward was really good value at 4.5. He had a great season, um, got injured slightly, but had a really good season. Tarko as well, um, really good value. And Ben Mee as well. Those guys had really good seasons and I think they offered better value. And also the Brighton guys, Duncan Duffy at 4.5. I think um, those guys, knowing how um, FPL towers work, I can imagine they'll probably be 5.0. Like I said, maybe if, if and Bong somehow gets 5.0, that's, that's where it's getting a little bit ridiculous perhaps. But um, I think, uh, yeah, Alan Yom. I mean, I'm sorry that he got relegated, but I think I still uh, stand by the fact that he uh, 5.0 is a little bit too expensive for him.
1: Yeah, I think so as well. And um, So without further ado, here's the final Neum watch of this season. Alan Yom was spotted playing football versus Palace on the last day of the Premier League, perhaps his last time as a Premier League player for the Baggies. He took 47 touches, 20 were in the opposition half. He made 23 passes, 17 were successful. That's 74% for the data scientists out there. He made four crosses, zero were successful. He was mentioned in dispatches thusly. Before the game, Alan Yom was spotted talking about the game. It's not easy because we've been relegated since our last match, but we come here hoping to keep our good form going and finish the season positively, said Alan. In the second minute, Hennessy stepped off his lines, to easily gather Yom's ball in from the right that's it for Neon Watch this season so if you see him driving down the M1 on deadline day or shopping for a new bed at your local Dreams do let us know Uh, thanks to everybody who used hashtag Neon Watch this year and um, you know I I think that's probably going to be it for Adam and and us it's the end of our relationship we're not going to look back into the Neon but thanks to everybody for for taking part this year and making it such fun
0: yeah thanks guys I think we are going to be potentially creating some neon watch mugs as well though so look out for that on twitter we might be giving out some for free or something in a little competition at some point and um and we know um, the top of the league which we'll get onto in a second uh, the winner's going to get a neon watch mug as well
1: yeah cool cool right um so in lieu of uh, market forces uh, this week which obviously doesn't really uh, no, it doesn't exist. Um, we're going to be talking about our Prospecting the Prospect series, which is going to return over the summer. And this is our formulaic article that models the players' FPL performance in whatever league they were playing in last season and uh, suggests where they may be in the game and what kind of player they may be. And uh, I picked out a few last summer. Uh, we did. And... Uh, And and some from this January as well, which were also helped by Con, um, fpl.con on Twitter, a member of our little Slack group as well. So I think a notable success very early on. Mo Salah, initially we wrote that the stats were in Salah's favour, and if Liverpool keep playing heavy metal football, there's a... A really exciting prospect and we gave him a 4.25 basically didn't we and I think we, we were quite quite good with that one we got that one kind of uh, dead on so I think that was the first one we were really excited about in terms of this se- season although we couldn't really anticipate the fact that he was a five out of five you know got to set the league on fire kind of guy.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think um, in the pre-season, there's still a lot of talk about the red roulettes. And we talked about how, um, you know, oh, yeah, the that. points the previous season were shared between Mane, Coutinho, Firmino. You could never really guess which one would get the points. And people were trying sideways moves, trying to chase the points in the Liverpool team. And that was a very common theme of the season before. But this season, Salah smashed it out of the park. He definitely won the red roulettes. You know, you just put your chips on Salah week in, week out, and he would get you returns. And that was um, definitely a trend of this season that we saw.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, he he was just, at 9.0, I think, the you know the FPL player of, well, I mean, Suarez perhaps. Um, I've had a lot of joy out of him. I remember kind of looking at every Norwich fixture and thinking, yep, yeah, nailed on captain there. he always seemed to score a hat-trick, didn't <laughs> he, against them at least. Um, but Salah this year has just been incredible. And I think that, you know, we're all guilty of... Uh, falling prey to the herd fear of Kane, to some extent. Another good one we got was Aubameyang, Um Noted that he'd scored 0.97, I think, goals per game in the Bundesliga. And we said that 28 in his prime, coming in from a league, carrying similar physicality, um, he might hit the ground running. And uh, yeah, we got 4.5 and got that one bang on, really. Um, but I just wanted to highlight as well, just to, you know, we've mentioned a couple of ones did quite well. And we are going to keep doing this. And sometimes... Even though sort of player that's good in other leagues, for whatever reason, doesn't quite work here. One player that I thought to do very well was Ivor Moratinic. Um, I looked at his and his stats for last uh, for the seasons where he was a bit part player Real Madrid, and when he played kind of the majority of games at Juventus, and the goals per minute were, was really good. And I said that he had a lot of really good potential, and he could be a fantastic captaincy option eventually for Chelsea, who had a very good early run, if you remember. Uh, we gave him a 4.25 as well, but it didn't really work with him, did it? And it looked like Giroud was actually the player that Conte wanted all along.
0: Yeah. Morata didn't have the, uh, the best of seasons. He started off um, pretty strongly actually, and even netted a hat-trick in one of the early games. But um, as soon as I made that decision to go for Morata instead of Firmino, that's, that's when everything sort of went dead for him. And it looks like he might even be leaving Chelsea now. I I think they need someone who's uh, a little bit stronger in the number nine position. And, uh, yeah, despite um, building quite a good relationship with Equator, who seemed to assist him a record five times, or something ridiculous for a defender to a forward, Maratta yeah, just didn't really settle in the Premier League and it, and it didn't work out for him. And, you know, Salah did really well in Italy, but, uh, you know, a lot of what we talked about actually when we discussed Salah moving to the Premier League is the fact that the Premier League game is a lot tougher than uh, playing in Serie A. It's, you know, it's a lot... Faster pace, the you know the defenders tackle that a little bit harder, and we've seen many people who've done well in Italy in the past fail in the Premier League, like Quadrado, for instance, and and Salah had previously actually failed at Chelsea. So we thought, you know, will he actually repeat his heroics in the Premier League? It was always it was always a fifty fifty, and just what he did last season, he just absolutely
1: dominated. Yeah, definitely. We are going to look at all manner of players um, and kind of estimate the FPL scores and things like that. Uh, to this extent, i pu- pulled out one, Nick, that you remember fondly about your uh, Vicente Ibora, uh, the glowing review you wrote of him. Um, <laughs> uh, you said that Ibora has some potential for our squads a keen eye for goal and the ability to pay further forward. Um, he could begin to figure in our thinking. Um, And he may well prove us wrong. Um, And you gave him a 2.5, which is an average or a reasonable prospect for us I gave him a 2. And so I guess that kind of shows that it's not always kind of plain sailing, is it, when we're translating what they can do and what they've done in other leagues, as you've said. Um, Well, I
0: think uh, he didn't really get too much game time in the end. I still think... um, you know, he's actually managed to. He started looking good um, near the close season before he got his injury. He scored um, two goals in a row. Scored against West Brom, and then he scored against Brighton. And he still definitely offers a lot of attacking prospects. So I wouldn't necessarily write him off quite yet. Tom. we'll see how he gets on next season. Uh, but um, you know, you you gave a uh, Pascal Grosser too, actually. So you know, know we get know. for a reason.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's sometimes very hard to read, isn't it, how well someone's going to do. And, you you've got to take it with a pinch of salt, of course. Like, we're just doing one way of doing it. Another way of looking at it is profile the football player. The only reason we do it with an FPL kind of modelling is because you end up with a discrepancy like Will Hughes, who we gave a 1.5, I think. No, not really doing very much for Derby, more of a midfield kind of ball carrier slash assisting the assister kind of guy. Uh, whereas on the other hand, if you looked at his kind of uh, his playing ability, you know, they're making kind of uh, links to Xavi and that kind of level, when you kind of overestimate the player a bit. So that's why we look at it, and uh, hopefully over the summer it's going to be useful. I think the first one we're going to do is Diogo Yuta from Wolves, um, who may well figure in our frontline plans if we don't think there's a death of a third striker in the end. Okay, uh, let's we'll take a right break over Nick, and we'll move on to the, uh, the Final community session of this season.
0: Who got the assist? Who
1: got the assist? So we're back for the uh, final time this season. Um, it's time to catch up on who got the assist mini league and the uh, nicks across this as usual.
0: Yeah, and it was a really exciting um, finish to the who got the assist mini league. It was uh, yeah, really. went down to the final game week. It was between three managers, and it was really tight. Um, so we'll we'll go through the top ten actually this um, this game week just as a sort of summary of uh, the guys that finished in the top ten. So well done to all of you guys. You all did really well. I think uh, uh, actually you all finished in the top one k as well. So that's that's brilliant stuff. Um, so the tenth was uh, Tiago Costa, uh, one of our friends on Twitter, he, uh, the Red Eagle team. He scored uh, sixty seven points, finished with two three eight five, which is a uh, a great score. Uh, in ninth, it was Andrew Ferguson. He's he's been around since the start. I think he was leading the the mini league back in game week one or two. Uh, two girls, one slap, uh, seventy-one points, two three nine one. In eighth, it was Luke Shaw, Boom Shakalaka, eighty-three points. He scored in the final game week and finished um, with a brilliant score of two three nine two. Seventh, um, Ben Sutton, another one of the mainstays in the league. Uh, the Terabads, sixty-five points. In the final game week, but managed to get that seventh position in the end with 2394. Uh, climbing up in the final game week was uh, D Boy with D Boy United. He got 85 points and scored 2,401. And then uh, in fifth, it was Brent Wilde, the Mad Dog. So he only got 60 points in his final game week, but finished with 2,414 points, an overall rank of 309, which is brilliant. Fourth, it was cruise control stevie sunshine another one of the mainstays he got 83 points in the final game where he could great finish uh uh finished overall rank 286 with 2415 points and then the finally it was the top three so dammit and he was number one in the world at one point he had a great season drifted off a little bit near the end of the Lana land he um finished uh, with only 55 points but scored 2,449 overall rank at the end of the season was 65, which is brilliant. Uh, Heroes and Villains, Simon Rutherford, he finished second, another one of our Twitter friends. He finished with a score of 2,451 points and overall rank of 58, which is brilliant. And then uh, top of the league, um, Another guy from Twitter, Jamal Rice, team name. He scored 83 points in the final game week. He said on Twitter um, after losing his top spot a week before that he would gain it back, and he certainly did with 83 points. Total score of uh, 2,461 and over a rank of 34. So very well done, Jamal. He's from Barbados, so somehow we're going to have to try and get a Neon Watch mug over to Barbados. But uh, yeah, we'll have to look into how we're going to do that. But uh, yeah, let us know via Twitter, your address, and we can sort that out for you, mate.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well done, Jamal. A final day uh, transfer in. It, it was a minus eight, actually, so it was a lot closer than, uh, than it looked. But a final day transfer in of uh, of Zahar and uh, Romero. And uh, Jordan, and I used to go on your bench, and the bench boost definitely uh, did the business for you. Uh, really unlucky, Simon Rutherford, who uh, was, did take the lead as Nick said, but um, just couldn't hold on at the end. But yeah, fantastic seller seasons for them and everybody else in the top 10 indeed. Just a few shout outs as well to everybody as we come to the end. And the first thing is the Slack team. So Marco, uh, Matt, Ed, Ewan, Goops, uh, FPL Stag, Alex at Ball, and Con at FPL.com for helping us out. And a special shout out to all of our amazing guests this year. That is Ewan, Alex Ball, uh, who came on twice. He co-hosted and guested. FPL Connect, Ben Crelin, FPL stag and Tom from Ninety Matt stag and uh, Tom miserations about the FBAs, but they're both you know very worthy nominees, and it'd be great to keep an eye on them and see how they go next year. And last but not least, uh, obviously Lee and Sam from FPL family, I haven't forgotten you. I promise, uh, absolutely fantastic to you know, banter and speak to them all year long. Um, really lovely guys, and you know, we'll hopefully have them uh, have them on for another kind of uh, FPL family WGCA mashup at some point. Uh, at some point in the new season, and. Um, On our Twitter page, there's a list of people who uh, have made the community so great for us this year.
0: Yeah, final shout out from the uh, as part of the community section. Um, one of our friends has, um, if you're interested in Alexa, one of our friends has actually written a football challenge quiz. So if you search for football challenge quiz on Alexa, you should be able to uh, find it. And it's a quiz based on sort of the FPL and also uh, a little bit of European and World Cup questions thrown in as well. And if you've got any feedback, he'd he'd love to hear from you and uh, drop him an email at footballchallengequiz at
1: gmail.com. And finally, Nick, some stats about our pods this year so this is our 40th pod we've made 39 podcasts plus one lost one and i also made a couple of streams too recorded nearly 100 hours of content nick so 100 hours of you and me talking imagine we've had nearly a hundred thousand listens which mind-blowing frankly uh, thank you so much for that uh, we've done 13 young watches and we've also said we're back on 146 occasions now considering it's the 40th pod
0: it's been a great season we've really enjoyed it we're definitely going to continue doing this i think we felt very green when we first did our um, initial pod didn't we tom but uh, you know now we kind of feel like to have done 40 prods to him here that we've done that many is uh, pretty incredible. And it's just been, um, you know, a really sort of eye-opening experience. Really looking forward to doing it for another year, Tom.
1: We'll definitely be back this year, definitely get involved, I think over the summer we're both kind of uh, going to be focusing a bit on the writing, uh, taking a bit of a back seat in terms of podding, you're going to be well covered everywhere, uh, with many other pods continuing for, for the World Cup, I think it's time for us to recharge our batteries a little bit, especially if you having a new baby, me having a new job, there's going to be prospects in the prospects, there's going to be an article on bonus. Um... There's a theme to each pod as well Tom.
0: So last time it was Game of Thrones, it was a bit of an obvious theme, I think, by the amount of uh, references we were shoehorning in every chance we get. This week, I think it's going to be a bit more of a challenge, but um, Jill got it last week. So well done, Jill, for for picking up the theme, being first to, to notice the theme.
1: that's it really so have a great summer everybody enjoy the World Cup we hope you've enjoyed listening to us this year and we shall be around thanks for assisting us by listening in during this amazing first season who got the assist
0: have a great summer enjoy the World Cup and we'll be around and yeah continue to check our website for articles on prospecting the prospects etc
1: yeah we'll be back when the fixtures are out for our first podcast of 2018-2019 oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist and right beautiful that's <laughs> a rendition of
0: my uh, wife singing the who got Assist" song <laughs> oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist
1: sports social podcast network